Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is The Not Commandments, Part 2, Fear Not, featuring Michael Davis. Well, good morning. It's awesome to see all of you guys here. Hey, fingers crossed we haven't been snowed out yet, all right? Woo, keeps getting closer. I keep getting scared, but it's all going to be okay. Uh, well, uh, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here, and if you're just catching up with us, we are in part two of our series called The In Commandments or The Not Commandments. And I want to let you know a little, bit, a little bit about where we've been. So Jesus shows up on the planet, just as Jason shared with us in that scripture. It was prophesied for a long time that Jesus was coming and what he was going to do. Spoiler alert, they should have seen it coming, but they didn't. And so Jesus comes and shows up and he introduces a new covenant. He introduces a new command. He introduces a new, almost completely different religion and a new following. And he unhitches it from the old. And so he introduces all this to the disciples. And they don't completely understand it. They mess it up for a really long time. They travel with Jesus for about three years. And then Jesus is taken and he's, he's killed. And he's crucified. And that's it. I mean, right there, Christianity should have ended. Right there, that should have been the end of the story. And Christianity should have never really existed because Jesus was dead. And his disciples left him. They ran off and nobody was left. But then, three days later, what happened? Jesus rose from the grave. And Jesus was found alive. And he was there and he was with his disciples. And you know, the thing is, is that those disciples... They didn't exactly know what they were getting into. They didn't completely understand. But when they saw their Savior alive, they were fully on board. They put their full faith, their full trust in Jesus Christ. Because the thing is, is when you see one of your friends die and then three days later you're having lunch with them, you tend to believe. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They believed. And then it's like, think of it like a movie for a minute, right? So, you know, we have this movie and we have this tragedy and Jesus dies and you think it's sad. But then Jesus raises from the dead and it's a happy ending and he's there with his disciples. And then, you know, we are told from the disciples that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so, you know, it's like the very end of the movie. It's been two and a half hours. You really need to go to the bathroom. You've run out of popcorn and Jesus is ascending into the sky and dramatic music is playing. And he's saying, bye-bye. And the disciples are going, bye-bye. And then cut to black roll credits it's over but here's the thing if there was going to be a trilogy if there was going to be a trilogy what would the second part be the second part would be cutting back to the disciples and they go what do we do next because here's the thing jesus had left jesus left them jesus left them there with nothing and just they were like well what do we do now i don't know what we should do now Maybe we should go tell some people about this. So they did. So Jesus left, and then they went and told everybody exactly what they saw. Hey, guess what? Turns out that guy, everybody heard about this. Remember, it was very public. Everybody saw this. Remember that guy? Well, guess what? We had brunch with him the other day, and he's alive. And so people start to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what's so interesting about this time in history. As they start to tell people that Jesus is alive, that Jesus had rose again and ascended into heaven, all of a sudden, for the first time ever, not just Jews believed and put their faith in Christ, but Gentiles believed and put their faith in Christ. Which, if you don't know what a Gentile is, it just means everybody who's not a Jew. So, all of a sudden, these Gentiles put their faith in Jesus Christ. But again, 
they're like, well, what do we do now? Because now all these Gentiles are saved, and now all these Jews are saved, and everybody's following Christ, and they start to nickname it the way is what they call it. And so everybody's a part of the way. They don't call it Christianity yet. They call it the way, and everybody's a part of the way. And there's a big problem. We talked about this last week. The Gentiles have no interest in the Old Testament, that's Jewish history, and they, make, they have make a decision that we don't need to put the old on the backs of these new followers, and so it just needs to be about Jesus, just Jesus. Nothing outside of Jesus except for a couple things to make sure we all get along. And so now they have all of these followers, and there's no Bible yet. There's no scripture written at this point in time for a little while. Paul isn't even a Christian. Even when he's a Christian, he doesn't write anything or write any letters for 20 years. And then those letters aren't even circulated for about 50 years. And so there's no Bible. There's no need for the Old Testament and the old, for, for the Gentiles. And they don't have any church. And they're just left with, what do we do next? So what do we do? And so somebody gets the bright idea and they go, well... Um, let's see. You remember that one time in that one place where Jesus did that one thing? All right, let's tell that story. So that's exactly what the disciples and the apostles started to do. They started to tell stories of that one time in that one place where Jesus said that one thing. And they began to understand and use those stories to shape what it meant to be part of the way, to shape what it meant to be part of a Christian. And when they understood the transformative part of that and what the Spirit was doing through that, that was when they said, you know what, we need to start writing these down because we're getting old and our memory's starting to go. And then some of us are going to be killed pretty soon. So we better start writing this down. And that's the whole reason it even exists today. It's because the disciples started to do that. So in this series, what we're trying to accomplish and what we're doing is we're taking a step back. We're putting ourselves in the seat of those first generation Christians. Because you and I, many of us are Gentiles ourselves. And so we're putting ourselves in that situation and we're saying, what if all we had was what the apostles had? What if all we had were the stories of the apostles? What would it look like to be part of the way? What would it look like to be a Christian if that was all we had, was just Jesus? And so we're taking a look at that, and what we're going to find as we look at these stories that the apostles told is that there were many point in times where Jesus gave not commandments. There were these times where Jesus said, don't do this. And so we're looking at the shall nots of Jesus. We're looking at these not commandments that he gave. And so we're going to dive through these for the next five weeks. And so the first one we're going to talk about is it's a shall not. Do you want to guess what it is? Of course you don't. Okay, I'll continue on. Thou shalt not fear. Thou shalt not fear. Do not be afraid. It's how Jesus said it several times. Do not be afraid. Now that doesn't even make sense, does it? And this is one of the things I love about Jesus. When people get hung up on, you know, the old covenant and the new covenant, they're like, well, don't we need the old covenant? I mean, but when you look at the new covenant, it's so much further extreme and so much better. I mean, everybody thinks that Jesus somehow watered it down because his commands were so short and simple and easy to remember. But if you look at these commands and the things he told us to do and not do, you automatically look at them and you go, yeah, that's not happening. I mean, seriously, what if I told you, hey, by the time you leave this service today, I no longer want you to fear. You'd be looking at me going, are you crazy? There's no way that I could ever just not be 
afraid. And that's exactly what the disciples and the apostles thought as well. So you're in the same boat as them. When they first heard it, they didn't understand it either. They thought it was impossible. They thought that it was crazy themselves. But over and over and over again, Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Fear not. And one specific time, Jesus pulled his disciples together, and he, he said he was, he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. And he told them these very, very scary stories. He said, hey guys, I just want you to know, if you're going to be a follower of mine, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, and you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to have to make sacrifices, and you too, you're going to die, you're going to live a long, de- a long life, but you know, it's going to be really hard, and you're going to be alone, you're never going to get married, but you know, it's okay. And then you know, he just started going through the line and telling them these awful, awful things. And I mean, if you were sitting there, and this was your church board meeting, you'd be going, well, I'm out. You know, I mean, this sounds terrible. I mean, Jesus really painted a very, very scary picture. He was very honest with them, very upfront about what was going to happen. And he says to them, he, he sees exactly, you know, the fear in their eyes. He can see that they're afraid. And this is what he says to them. Matthew was there, and Matthew wrote it down for us. He, he was a firsthand witness of this. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus says this to him, and he goes, guys, do not be afraid. Even though there are some scary things out there that you should be afraid of. Jesus was saying this to him. Jesus was saying, do not be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. So Jesus sets up this very, very important principle right from the beginning. You remember when your mama told you, uh, don't be afraid, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? You guys, some of you guys remember that? Some of you moms, you've said that to your kids. There's nothing to be afraid of, honey. Well, Jesus goes, well, your mom's wrong, okay? There are things to be afraid of. Uh, let, let, let's be honest. Let's be upfront. Let's be transparent. There are things that you should be afraid of that are very scary. However, you do not have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. And he continues on, and he tries to explain it to him. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's house. Now, again, the disciples are trying to understand, and they're looking at this, and they're going, okay, all right, I get it. You know, God cares about, you know, the earth and the creatures, and he takes care of them. But let's not forget, Jesus, those sparrows that were sold, they were dead. So anyway, um, okay, I'm kind of tracking with you. Um, All right, and then he goes on, he says, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So the disciples hear this, right? Think about it for a minute. All right, we're, we're more valuable than sparrows, but yet sparrows are killed and sold at market every day. Okay, so I'm more valuable than them, but okay. And he also said, don't be afraid, but be more afraid of something else. Okay, so I am supposed to be afraid, but just don't be afraid. Okay, I'm very confused, right? I mean, it's kind of, kind of, kind of confusing when you look at it, and, you, and they didn't understand it for a very, very long time. But they did have some context. This is not the first time that they talked about this. There's actually things that happened earlier in Matthew's account of his gospel that give us a little bit of context. This is like the third time they've talked about this subject. So if you ever feel like I'm redoing my sermons too often, look, I'm just being like Jesus, okay? And so 
earlier in Matthew, it says that they were preaching, okay? They, Jesus was preaching. He was sharing the gospel with everybody. And then the crowd gets so big, Jesus always kind of did this. He just comes to this point in time where he's like, all right, we got to get out of here. we got to escape, okay? So they would get on a boat, and they would leave. So what happened is it says, then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. So Jesus goes, let's get out of here. They get on a boat. They push that boat out, and they're going across the sea, okay? They're going to go to land on the other side, and they get out of here. And, you know, you follow Jesus, right? And then it says next, it says, Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So all of a sudden, they're in this huge storm. This huge storm hits, and they're in the middle of the sea, okay? This big, big storm hits all of a sudden, and they are just terrified. I mean, the, wa- the boat is rocking, water's coming over, it's getting in their face. You know, imagine for me, you ever been on a cruise ship and gone out on the cruise ship at night and just seen how pitch black the sea can be sometimes? Imagine that. So it's dark, it's pitch black, there's no lights, water's coming everywhere, there's lightning, there's thunder. It is scary. Some of you can, you can identify with this, right? If you've ever been on a plane and been in the middle of a storm, or you've been on a boat, or you've been in a situation where you, the thought crosses your mind, we are going to die. That is exactly what came across their mind. And they're with Jesus, right? And they're thinking, oh my goodness, we need Jesus. This is the time more than ever. We need Jesus. And so they start looking for Jesus. And where is Jesus? He says, but Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was asleep. Now, this is just me, like, inserting myself, okay? This is how I read the Bible, okay? I don't think Jesus was really asleep. I think Jesus was playing that game, you know, when your kids run in your room, and they're like, Daddy, 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 and you fake asleep, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Where you're like, Dad, 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 and you're like, I'm not awake yet. You know, and you're like, you, you kind of like fake sleep, or you act like it so that they leave you alone. Maybe they'll go back to their room, or they'll just maybe go make their own breakfast. I know, I'm a neglectful parent, but this is just how I roll, okay? But I think Jesus wasn't really asleep. I think he might have been, might have been messing around just a little bit, you know. This might have been a test, because this ends up being a very important moment for them. And so they go in, and, and it says, Jesus is asleep. And then it says next, it says, so the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. They they are convinced they're about to die. They are scared out of their wits. They really are convinced that they're going to die, and this is going to be it. Now, just for a minute, time out. Some of you who are watching today, or some of you who are here in person, you have had a time in your life where you needed God, where you were desperate, where you felt like you were going to die, or you knew somebody who was going to die, and you didn't know what was going to happen, and you didn't know, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you wanted God to act so badly, and you thought if you had enough faith, and you thought if you prayed hard enough, and you thought if you did A, B, and C, that God would come to your rescue, and then it turned out he was asleep. Let me say to you, today, I hope you consider coming back to your faith. I hope today that you understand and realize that the apostles felt the very same way. When they were most terrified and when they thought they were going to die, Jesus was asleep. But the thing is, is that those apostles, even when they thought Jesus was asleep, understood that he wasn't really asleep. 
And even those apostles ended up putting their faith in Jesus Christ and ended up writing about it and leading thousands of other people to Jesus. And so today, if you're on the fence about Jesus or you left the faith because Jesus was asleep in your life, I want you to know there is something you're about to find out today. And I want you to hang on. And I want you to just consider just maybe for a little bit coming back. Because when you find out what the disciples found out, everybody decides to come back to Jesus. So they go to Jesus, and they're like, we're going to die. We need your help. You better wake up right now, okay? And so they turn, and Jesus says this, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? To which the disciples probably went, permission to speak freely. Are you out of your mind? Do you not feel this? Like, there's no way there was anywhere where Jesus was just, like, dry, you know, in the boat. Jesus is probably getting splashed. He's filling the waves. And they're going, are you out of your mind? We are going to die. What do you mean, what are we afraid of? It's kind of obvious, isn't it? And so they're scared out of their mind, and they're just looking at Jesus like, I'm sorry, Jesus, that's a dumb question. And then it says this. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? The answer is Superman, okay? The man just spoke, and everything just whoosh, went away. Everything just calmed down. And everything just was at peace, And if you look at that, the disciples' response, I'm going to read it again. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They were amazed. Do you know what happened in that moment? In that moment, something incredible happened. Mark kind of captures it best. Even though Mark wasn't there, he traveled with Peter. And so we think a lot of what Mark got in his gospel came from Peter. But Mark talks about in that moment, he records the same story. It says that they feared a great fear. Do you know what happened? The storm was scary. The storm, they thought they were going to die. But when they saw what Jesus did, they were more afraid of Jesus than they were the storm. And they said, whoa, forget that storm. That's lightweight compared to what we just saw Jesus did. And suddenly, they would understand what Jesus would say later about where they would need to place their fear. See, the thing is this, the thing is, is don't fear the one or the thing that can take your life. Fear the one who can control the destiny of your soul. See, a lot of times in life, we fear things here on this earth that can only affect us here on this earth. And Jesus' point to them about not being afraid, he says, don't be afraid of the one who can harm your body or can take your life or can, you know, lower your bank account or break your heart. What you really need to be afraid of is the one who is in control of the destiny of your soul. And that's me. I'm the one who has say about what happens in the afterlife. And so the disciples feared a great fear. They no longer feared the storm. They feared Jesus. More than they did the storm. So then, time goes on, right? Time goes on a little bit. A few chapters later, they are in the same place preaching to the same crowd, okay? So when they got in the boat and they went into the sea, they're they're back in that same location. They're doing night number two of whatever they're doing, okay? And so then they finish up again, and then it says, Jesus goes, hey, we're going to get in a boat. And this is what it tells us. 
It tells us in Matthew, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Notice it said immediately Jesus made them get in the boat. Why do you think it says that? Because they knew what happened last time they got in a boat with Jesus, so Jesus made them get in the boat. It's the same reason why my daughter Olivia, she has a loose tooth right now. She won't let me touch it. You know why? Because the last time she had a loose tooth, I yanked it out of her mouth without warning, right? So she told me, she said, Daddy, I got a loose tooth. I said, oh, really? She goes, no, 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 I know, I know this game. I'm not doing that again, right? And so Jesus is there, and he's with this crowd, and time comes. He goes, all right, boys, let's get in the boat. And they're going, nah, 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 nope, nope. Same boat, same sea, been here before, not going to do it. And Jesus goes, get in the boat. Yes, sir. All right. So they, so they get in the boat, right? And here's what happens. It's different about last time. They're like, oh, they're going, oh, my goodness, okay. Whew. All right, we're getting in the boat. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Jesus is coming with us. Jesus is coming with us. And then they look behind them, and they go, uh, 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 Jesus. And Jesus is behind them about, you know, waist deep in water, and he's pushing the boat into the sea. And they're going, Jesus, Jesus. Guys, Jesus ain't coming with us. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus is just pushing the boat and going, bye-bye. I mean, they're freaking out. And now they're being pushed out into the sea. And they're going, Jesus, no, no, no. Because So now Jesus, this time it's different. Because now Jesus isn't coming with them to take a nap on the boat. They have lost their floaty device. They have lost their in case of emergency button. And Jesus is just on the land going, ha, 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 I have something planned for you. It will be great. Don't worry, you know. And so they says they got pushed out in the sea. And Jesus, this is what he does. It says next in Matthew. It says, after he had dismissed them, meaning left them for dead, he <laughs> went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Good for Jesus. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. So, so this time they don't hit a storm, what they hit is what's called a headwind, okay? So they're out in the middle of the sea, and they hit a headwind, which means they just can't move. So they're just sitting there, rowing, rowing, rowing into this wind, but they're not going anyway. It's the first CrossFit rower, okay? And so they're rowing and rowing and rowing, and they're just not going anywhere. But they're not stopping, because when Jesus says, go, you go, right? And so they're in this headwind. Now, if you put this together, right, and look at the story, what you understand is that they were stuck out in the middle of the sea for hours, possibly up to 10 to 12 hours, because they get told to, be, to go to the other side, and they go, and they get stuck in this headwind, and then the very next thing, it says it was almost dawn. So they're out there for hours, and they're exhausted, and they're tired, and it's scary, and there's wind, and there's, they're getting wet, and it's, they're just, it's just been a long day, and they're just rowing, and they're rowing, and they're rowing. And then it says next, it says, shortly before dawn, so it's just before the sun's coming up now, Jesus went out to them, walking in the lake. And then the disciples saw him walking on the lake, and they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. They saw Jesus coming. Remember, it's pitch black. There's no light. They just saw this figure walking towards them, and they're like, we are going to die a whole different kind of death this time, guys. And we don't have Jesus. We're going to die. We're going to die. It's like Scooby-Doo. They're like starting to row faster, and they're still not going anywhere, you know. And they're like, oh, gosh, gosh, gosh. And so Jesus walks up to him, and Jesus, he looked at him, and he said, fail. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I put that in, right? 
I mean, but they did. They, they got scared again. This was a great test. This was a great time where they could have stood up in the boat and they said, we will not fear you, ghost. We have Jesus by our side. But they didn't. They failed. And Jesus didn't really say fail. What Jesus said was this. He said, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. How many times do we have to go over this? Do not be afraid. See, this was a test. I kind of put you out there, and I left for a reason. And I imagine that in that moment, there had to have been some sort of conversation. I imagine that for a minute, the disciples went, okay, so hold on, wait a minute. So the first time you were with us, and when we were afraid, you answered. And this time, you weren't with us, but you were still watching us? And Jesus goes, yes, I was still watching. Because here's the thing I need you to understand. I need you to understand that one day I will not be with you, but I will always be watching you. See, he was trying to prepare them for the life that was ahead. He was trying to get them to understand that he would not be there for much longer. And the times where he would not, was not going to be there didn't mean he wasn't there. He would still be watching them. And the same is true for us today. Jesus is not here today. He is in heaven, but it doesn't mean that he is not watching you today. He is still with you. And so Jesus was trying to get them to understand this concept, this lesson, that you do not have to be afraid. Do not be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. You do not need to be afraid. Now, here's what's really encouraging. If, again, you're going, I can't do this. I am a scaredy cat. You do not know me, Pastor. Is the thing you have to understand is that the disciples still didn't get it either. Even after all these experiences on this boat, all these life lessons, all of this, they still didn't understand it. And the day that Jesus was taken and arrested and crucified, they disappeared. They ran like scaredy cats. They were so full of fear and they were so afraid that they left Jesus aside. They didn't go to his trial. They didn't go to his crucifixion. They didn't go to his funeral. They, didn't even, they weren't even the ones that put him in the tomb. They betrayed their friend. And Christianity was done. And they were done. And they were more afraid of, fe of fear than they had ever been before. But then what happened that changed their mind forever was they saw Jesus alive. And when they saw Jesus alive, everything changed. Because here's the thing that happened. Jesus had conquered the ultimate fear. And the ultimate fear of everyone is death, right? We're afraid of dying. But when they saw that Jesus had conquered the ultimate fear, when they saw that Jesus had conquered death, they weren't afraid of anything because they understood finally what Jesus had said so many times. What John would write about later, whomever shall believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's what everybody needs to understand. This is what they would hinge everything on is you guys got to understand. Yeah, we were skeptics too and it seems crazy and it seems unrealistic and it seems possible. But I am telling you, we have seen with our own eyes and we have touched with our own hands. He can conquer death. And so we don't need to be afraid of anything. Because even the things that can hurt us, even the things that can kill us, are not going to be the end of the story. And their fear evaporated. 
because they were no longer afraid of death. They were more afraid of the person who controlled what happened to them after death. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ because he had conquered it. Now, this aspect of Christianity was vital. It was key. And it was stuck around, not even just for the first century Christians, but beyond. And and about the fifth uh, century of Christianity, generation of Christianity, the second century, uh, Marcus Aurelius, he oversaw the fourth greatest persecution of Christians. If that name sounds familiar, you've probably seen the movie Gladiator, okay? So Marcus, yeah, exactly, right? So Marcus Aurelius is the guy that Russell Crowe loves. Remember the dad that gets killed, right? And you have empathy for him. He's actually a very bad guy in history, so you should boo him, okay? Um, So Marcus Aurelius oversaw the fourth greatest persecution of Christians. And at that time, um, there, there were no autopsies, okay? You couldn't examine a dead body. That was bad juju. So you couldn't examine a dead body, but you could examine and do an autopsy on a dying body. And so Marcus Aurelius was famous for capturing Christians and putting them in the arenas and the coliseums, and they would fight to the death or people would kill them for people's entertainment, okay? And so what they would do is a lot of uh, doctors would go to the arenas and go to the coliseums, and since they could do autopsies on dying bodies, they would wait, and then they would go in as the athletes were dying and examine the bodies. So they saw a lot of Christians, because a lot of the people who were dying in the coliseums in the arenas were Christian. And there was one uh, certain doctor, Claudius Gallinus. He um, wrote down a lot about the human body, and he ran into a lot of Christians because he did a lot of autopsies during that second, second century. And there was something that he noticed about Christians. He saw so many of them being thrown into the pit, being thrown into the arena, and having to fight for their lives. And he says this about Christ, the Christians. Remember, this is like the fifth generation of Christians. For fearlessness of death and of the hereafter is something we witness in them. Every day. As Christians were being arrested, tried, unfairly persecuted, and being put into an arena to be slaughtered for people's entertainment, he said, these Christians are not afraid of death. And they are not worried about the hereafter. It fascinated him. It amazed him. What is it about these people that makes them so fearless? See, that's what the first generations of Christians understood. And this is what caught the attention of the Roman Empire. This is eventually what changed things. These people saw something different about Christians. They saw their fearlessness. They saw their faith in something that was beyond this world. Something that they believed was going to save them for eternity. And it fascinated people. It drew people in. And it was what early followers of Jesus understood so clearly that apparently we as the American church have just completely forgot. It's what others around the world where Christians are persecuted understand. Is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what the apostles tell us happened, when you put your faith in that, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Even when there's something to be afraid of. Because Jesus is always watching. Because Jesus is there with you. 
And no matter what happens, no matter what harms you, no matter who comes after you, if the worst possible thing that can happen to you is that you die, well, Jesus has got you covered. Because Jesus has already conquered death. And for so many centuries, for almost 150 years is where we are when this persecution took place. For 150 years and a little bit beyond, Christians weren't afraid of death. And therefore, they were not afraid of anything. And it captivated people. And it made people be drawn in to want to know more about Jesus Christ. When I was in college with... um, Darren, our bassist back here, we were roommates in college, and there was one spring break where we wanted to get really wild, you know, and I'm talking about like Christian wild, not like wild like some of you got, you know, (laughs) we want to get like Christian wild, so we went skydiving, right, that's like the most crazy Christian thing you can do is skydiving, okay, so we we decided we're going to go skydiving, and so we were driving from Kansas City back to St. Louis, and Darren or somebody found this place, and we said, we're going to stop, and we're going to go skydiving. And we told our parents, we're like, hey, we're probably not going to be home till late, because, I mean, we're jumping out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of training involved. And so we stopped in the middle of somewhere in Missouri, and there's this, you know, airstrip, and this little hangar, and this little metal shed. And we went, and we knocked on the door, and we said, here, sir, take my perfectly good money. I'd like to jump out of your perfectly good plane. And so the guy took our money. And I remember the first thing we did is we signed so many papers. Like, it's just like, this guy did not want to get sued. It was like, if you, anything goes wrong, it's your fault. You're an idiot. You just, you're a stupid college kid. Okay, got it. Thank you. Take my $300. And so we signed paperwork for like 20 minutes. And then he pops in. We sit on this like nasty couch with this coffee table in front of us, this little TV. And he pops in a VHS tape, Okay. Like, I'm not that old. Like, this is an old VHS tape, right? And it just tells us, like, these things. It keeps, like, cutting out. We can hear, like, every other word. It's like, in case this happens, anyway, have a great day. You know, and we're, like, going, oh, man, this is, this is making me feel so good about this decision. You know, I kept looking at Darren. I'm like, you picked this place, you know? And so we're sitting there on this couch, and then the VHS, that's, like, five, ten minutes. And then all of a sudden he comes out, and he goes, all right, boys. He goes, I want you to lay on my, uh, my coffee table, spread your legs in your hands, and act like you're falling from the sky. And we're going, again, I'm going, MSNBC is going to walk in any minute now. You know, so anyway, we get on the, the table, and we, we, we lay on there, and we're like, and he goes, oh, that'll do. I'm like, that'll do? That'll do? No, we need We're jumping out of a plane, sir. We need to do a little bit better than that'll do. So now, since we've walked into the room, we did about 20 minutes of paperwork. We watched the five-minute VHS, and we laid on this man's coffee table for another five. Then he puts us in an old jumpsuit with holes in the crotch. Different story. And that took about 10 minutes. And then he's like, all right, you boys ready to go? I'm going, ready to go? I told my mama I'd probably be here for hours learning how to jump out of your plane. What do you mean, ready to go? And so he does, he just takes us out, and we're loading up in the airplane. Now, we were going tandem. We were going attached to somebody, right? And so there were two guys and a girl. And, man, I'm telling you, this is before I met my wife or anything. I'm just thinking, Lord, send me with a pretty blonde if I'm going to die, you know? Like, let me go with a pretty girl, you know what I mean? At least on the news, you know, that's what they can say. You know, he, he died at 100 miles an hour into the ground, but he was with a pretty blonde, and so it was all worth it, you know. I'm like going, good grief, but no, no, they stick me with the guy, Mitch. 
Mitch. I'm going, son of a Mitch. Why do I got to go with Mitch? <sighs> so it's me and Mitch, you know, and Mitch is, Mitch is, Mitch is totally radical. Mitch, Mitch, we found out later he worked for the X Games. And so Mitch was like on Mountain Dew and Red Bull at the same time. He lived off of gummy, bur- gummy bears and Mountain Dew and Red Bull. And so they're like, you're going to be with Mitch. And he's like, hey, man. And I'm like, well, we're going to die. Like, this is it. I'm going to die. It's Darren's fault. And I'm going to kill him when we get into heaven. That's what's going to happen. So anyway, we go up. And, you know, we're in this plane. And I am, I am scared out of my mind. I mean, I'm thinking this is going to go terribly wrong. This is so sketchy. So sketchy. But then as we're in the plane and we're up, I think Mitch could tell, probably because my leg was shaking uncontrollably, that I was scared. And I'll never forget what Mitch said. Mitch tapped me on the shoulder and he leaned in my ear and this is what he said to me. He said, you don't need to be afraid of anything. I've done this before. And I realized something in that moment. Well, I should say not in that moment, when I landed safely on the ground. Um... When I landed safely on the ground and we're headed home, I understood why there was not a lot of time spent training us and teaching us how to jump out of a plane. And the reason is this, is because it wasn't about our qualifications, it was about the qualifications of the person we were going with. It was more about Mitch. And Mitch had been here before. Mitch had done this a million times. And Mitch knew what Mitch was doing. And the thing is, is for us as Christians, what you need to understand, if right now you're going through something scary, right now if you are afraid, right now if you're thinking about becoming a parent or you're thinking about having another kid or you're thinking about getting married or you're thinking about changing your jobs or you're thinking about quitting your job and and starting a business or you're thinking about you know just doing something you've never done before that's so outside your comfort zone and you feel like God is calling you to be a leader God is calling you to serve God is calling you to start a ministry of your own and you just feel it in you like you need to do it but fear is keeping you from doing it and you're thinking to yourself I don't have what it takes I can't do it. I'm not the guy. Don't ask me to do that. No, I just I don't feel qualified. What Jesus would want you to hear today is it's not about your qualifications. It's about the qualifications of who you're going with. And Jesus would want you to hear that even though you can't see him in the boat, he is watching. And for some of you, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to tap you on the shoulder and he wants to whip you, whisper in your ear, not whip you. Good luck. (laughs) It's such a serious moment. I had you, right? And then I just, I messed it up. Let's rewind. Can you edit that out? Anyway, Jesus wants to whisper in your ear. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I've done this before. And you know, for some of us today, For some of you who are Christians, let me talk to the Christians in the room first, okay? And I want you to look up here. This is really important. We're going to have a serious talk, okay? And all of you non-Christians or not yet Christians, just pay no attention. Just say, yeah, get them, okay? All right? That's how we can tell who the non-Christians are in the room. Um, All the Christians, I want you to look up here. If you're watching online, I want you to look up here. This is very important. A crystal clear clarification of Christians in the first five centuries was fearlessness. And for some of you this year, 
you have shown your fear. For some of you who call yourself Christian, you have shown your fear. In the midst of an election, in the midst of what's happening in our country, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of where you are in your season of life, you have shown how fearful you are. And Jesus is saying to you, oh, you of little faith, what are you afraid of? And for some of you Christians, what you need to repent of right now is where you have put your faith. Because many Christians have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. They have put their faith in something else. And it's tearing our reputation apart and shame on us. We need to ask God for forgiveness this morning. Now, for those of you who are not yet Christian, I want you to look up here. I don't know what you're afraid of. You may be afraid of losing a child or losing another child or losing someone to COVID or what's going to happen next in our country. And I'm not going to stand up here like your mama and tell you there's nothing to be afraid of. There's some legitimate things to be afraid of. There may be some scary times ahead. I'm not a doom and gloom type of guy. There may be, but there kind of always is. There's always something to be scared of. There may be some scary things ahead. And what you are scared of, I'm not making fun of you. I'm agreeing with you. Are legitimate things to be afraid of. However, Jesus' point was that you do not have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. And what I would ask you to do, what I would ask you to trust me with, and to trust your Savior with, is to fear a different fear. Is to put your fear where it really should be. Not in the disease or the politician who could harm your body, but instead, fear the one who is in control of the destiny of your soul. Because whatever happens on this planet, it's going to be okay. The thing that I would want everyone to hear from me today is that Following Jesus doesn't guarantee it's going to work out how you want, but it will guarantee that it will work out. And this morning, what we need to do, each and every single one of us, is decide what we are going to be afraid of. We're all going to be afraid of something. But as far as me and my family go, we've decided to put our fear in Christ. The one who has conquered death. The one who can walk on water. The one who is watching me. Because COVID may kill me, the government may do something stupid, I could get hit by a car on my way home today, a lot of things can happen, whatever, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid of dying, I'm not afraid of what happens next, because I know my God is watching and I know my God is in control, and I know that if I believe in Him and I put my faith in Him and I put my trust in Him, It might work out the way I want, but it might not. And even if it doesn't, it works out anyway. Because I'll be in eternity and in heaven with him. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for your life? Is that what you want for your kid's life? Because make no doubt about it, whether you like it or not, you are a leader in this world. 
You are a leader to your spouse. You are a leader to your kids. You are a leader to your friends. And right now, you're being an example of Christ. If you call yourself Christian, if you consider yourself a part of the way, you are representing Christ. Don't misrepresent Christ. Don't do that. Repent from that. Change that. Do whatever you have to do to not put yourself in that position. Because it's important right now. And it's more important than ever that we, like the first century Christians, have a fearlessness of death. Because we believe that Christ came and he died and he rose again three days later. What else do we need? I'm going to pray for you this morning. The band's going to come back up. I'd like you to just stand with me this morning. And as you stand, I just want to pray with you and for you. So if you bow your heads with me this morning, I'd like it if you just bow, bow your heads. And I, I, want you, I want to ask you this morning a very serious question. What are you afraid of? With your, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just you and God, I want you to tell God right now, what are you afraid of? What is it that you are afraid of? And I want you to say this morning, Father God, if you're serious about it, I would, I would like you to forgive me, God. Forgive me for where I have placed my faith. God, th- forgive me for thinking it was this or it was that that was going to bring me peace, that was going to fix things for me, that was going to give me what I was looking for. Father God, I've turned to a lot of things for answers that were not you. God, will you forgive me? My fear, it's shown what my faith is really in. And God, this morning, after hearing this message, after hearing what you did with your apostles and your disciples. God, I want to put my faith in you. You're you're the great fear. You're the thing I should be concerned about. You're the one that controls the destiny of my, my soul. You're the Father in heaven. You're the Alpha. You're the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You're the Almighty. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. God, I've been out in the middle of this storm rowing against a headwind, trying to fight it been scared out of my mind this last year. And God, I realize that you have been watching all along. God, I I believe you're with me. I believe that I don't need to be afraid, even though there's something very scary out there to be afraid of. God, this morning I'm putting my fear in a different place. I'm putting my faith in you. I know you've been here before and you've seen this a million times. None of this is new to you. None of it's a surprise to you. And so God, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm going to follow you. And God, no matter what happens, whether whether I die, whether I lose something, I'm believing in eternity with you is going to be worth it. I believe that marching forward with you is the only way I could go. So I'm not reaching out for anything else to save me. I'm not putting my hope in anything else. 
I'm not putting my hope in a political party. I'm not putting my hope in the news. I'm not putting my hope in anything around me. I'm grabbing hold of you, God, and I'm hanging on for dear life. God, will you help that to be true? I'm going to need a reminder every single day. (laughs) Something scary is going to happen tomorrow. Something scary is going to happen at work. Something scary is going to happen in the news. I'm going to need a reminder, Lord, but I'm right now, I'm making the decision. Not saying I'm going to be perfect, but I'm making the decision. I'm going to put my faith in you. So God, this morning, will you call me out upon the waters? Will you call me out into the great unknown? Will you pull me out on the sea? And God, I'm going to, with all of my heart, with all of my faith, with all of my trust in you, I'm going to step out of the boat, I'm going to step on the water, and I'm going to move towards you. Step by step, day by day, decision after decision, I'm going to step forward closer to you because, God, you are what I need. You are what I want. I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. God, would that be true for every single one of us? In your name we pray. If you would like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. To connect with someone from Anchored Hope, please go to anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.